Luis Severino appears headed for Tommy John surgery, but that's not the only bad news for the Big Apple. We'll round up the injury updates on a busy news day and discuss some sleepers. Like death and taxes, Dodger's been a Dodger. I have not had uh, three go-throughs yet. It works great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Wednesday, February 26th. Alan Melk, you are here with Derek Van Riper. So DVR, uh, we've talked a lot about Luis Severino, but uh, I'm sure you don't really want to be talking about this again because it's just not the best of news. But um, Severino, he does have a partial tear of his UCL. He's been recommended for Tommy John surgery, and it sounds like pretty much a foregone conclusion that he's going to opt to have the surgery. So uh, we could certainly circle back to what we talked about last time in terms of replacements and see if there's anything different to say about that. But I also think now that we understand what the severity is of the the injury, we could talk about dynasty value. So let's start first with the the redraft implications. Um, who do you feel like uh, owners should be targeting at this point to fill that slot in the rotation? I'm still looking at Jordan Montgomery as probably the biggest winner since his hold on a rotation spot would have been really just temporary until James Paxton came back before we got this extra bad news for Luis Severino. So I think he gets the biggest upgrade. Uh, some of the other young guys we talked about before, though, Jonathan Loisega, maybe Michael King to an extent creeps into the radar. Uh, I'm looking at Davey Garcia as someone who in AL only leagues maybe was a fringy reserve pick before. Now he might be a dollar days sort of consideration since he's one of the highest ceiling pitchers they could bring up at some point this season to join this rotation. I think it is a situation where unless you're having a draft in the next few days that you you monitor the situation and see who might have the inside track on that. Temporary fill-in position for Paxton, but you never know how things might play out during the season. So again, that might be a showcase of sorts for whether it's a Davey Garcia or a Luis Sessa or uh, Jonathan Loy Sega. Uh, and you know, if, if somebody else gets hurt, then that just you know opens the window further for for somebody like that. But I'm with you that if I had to draft, let's say today or tomorrow, I would take that flyer on Davey Garcia. I think he's got the the best profile of any of those uh, potential candidates that we've talked about. So if we now take a, a little bit of a different look at this in terms of dynasty value, because you know before it might have been, well, I'm going to discount Severino. In fact, we did talk about this, discounting Severino and taking him out of the top 40 of starting pitchers. Well, of course, now for redraft purposes, he's out of the picture entirely. But how does this change his value for dynasty leagues? And if you are a, a Severino owner, are you thinking of trading him if you're not a Severino owner who maybe doesn't have a great chance to contend this year? Is this a good opportunity to try to acquire him? Yeah, I think if you are contending this year and you have Luis Severino, you can move him now and just kind of accept the fact that you're not going to get anything close to what you ordinarily would have received for him. But try and address a need. Try and get something that puts you over the top. It's hard to win keeper in dynasty leagues. So if you have that window open right now, do your best to actually make that happen. As far as being on the other end and thinking about him as someone that you might want to invest in uh, for the long haul, if you're not contending this year and there's someone in your league who's willing to part with Luis Severino for what I imagine would be 
50 cents on the dollar, if not much less. I mean, I, I think in, in keeper and dynasty leagues in particular, long-term pitching injuries are one of the best possible buying opportunities, but it's all about the price, right? I mean, we're talking about a guy that's probably going to miss 13 months. That's sort of become the standard for returning from this injury. That would keep him out until about opening day 2021. And on top of that, we're talking about a pitcher who only logged 12 regular season innings in 2019. So it wasn't just the elbow. You know, there was a previous injury here that we were a little bit concerned about with Luis Severino. So I think you're buying for maybe 150 or so innings in 2021. The possibility of getting more than that in years beyond that. He's still young enough where it's possible that he bounces back and pushes his way back up into the top 10 among starting pitchers at some point down the road. But it's it's a risky profile, despite the fact that he has a high enough ceiling to take the chance. So you've put a number on the innings estimate, and I think that's a very fair number, around 150. But what about the the stats, the fantasy stats, the performance? Uh, you figure we've got to discount Severino, whether you're looking at it from the perspective of being a Severino owner right now or somebody pitching pitching an offer for him. What sort of pitcher do you project him to be? And actually, let's let's do this from the perspective of being the Severino owner and what you're willing to give him up for. Because obviously, if you're trying to get him, you're you're going to bid a little bit over this projection. But you know, roughly speaking, either in terms of an actual pitcher or maybe just a statistical profile in terms of strikeout rate and ERA and that sort of thing, where where would you place him if you were an owner and and looking to get something in return? I think you're probably looking, if you're comparing him to pitchers who haven't debuted yet, I think he'd be comparable in long-term value to maybe Spencer Howard or Nate Pearson. I mean, you, you want to look at Severino as someone who is now a year away. You might get Pearson and Howard for half a season or so in 2020, but he's a, a full year away. And when he comes up, he's going to have innings restrictions like a young pitcher would. He should still have good velocity. We're talking about a guy who's averaged 96, 97 miles per hour on his fastball each of the last four seasons. So even if he were to lose a little bit of velo coming off surgery, Severino might be sitting 94, 95 when he comes back, which is still above average velocity-wise for a starter. Um, So I think that's where I'm at. I'm looking at the near major league ready pitching prospects as sort of long-term value comps because those guys could come up and give you something this year. They could come up and experience some growing pains. Or they could potentially give you nothing at all if things just don't break their way at all. We saw that uh, with Forrest Whitley, you know, this time mm-hmm. last year. So I think that's about the the range I'm looking at if I'm comparing him to other pitchers for the long term. Right, and just to clarify uh, that when we're talking about comparing him to other pitchers, doesn't necessarily mean that's the one for one trade. But it's you know what would you offer or what would you accept for Severino as equivalent to what you would accept for, for example, Spencer Howard. So that I think that that's very helpful. Uh, for the Severino owner to have that kind of comp in mind. Uh, It's not all bad news for the Yankees. We do have a report on Aaron Judge, who's dealing with a shoulder issue. He could play in his first Grapefruit League game sometime next week. So uh, something slightly encouraging there in terms of Aaron Judge. But uh, to get back to the not-so-great news uh, over in Queens, uh, of course, they're not in Queens right now. They're in Port St. Lucie. But uh, for the Mets, J.D. Davis uh, jammed his left shoulder on a defensive play against the Tigers on Tuesday. So uh, this is not supposed to be a major injury, but of course, it's probably far too early to tell until we do have those MRI results. Uh, we've been pouring a little bit of cold water on his ADP anyway, just because of 
roster log jams. So does this change anything DVR in that sense, or is it just, you know, sort of piling on the, uh, the negative vibes that we've been putting out there? I think it's just a little bit of piling on. It sounds like this isn't too serious. They're describing it as a jammed shoulder. I think the initial structural test they can do uh, came back negative. So there's no uh, concern of like a labrum tear or anything like that, at least at this point. So we'll see what further tests reveal if, you know, he ends up having that MRI. I would imagine, you know, it's going to be a few days at least before we see him back on the field. But the greater concern, at least for now with J.D. Davis, is just the crowded nature of the Mets depth chart at the positions that he's capable of playing. Right. And that got worse with the news that came out on Monday about Yohan Cespedes maybe having a chance of being ready for opening day. So uh, it's not been a great news stream in terms of J.D. Davis, but uh, like you say, it's one that we need to not overreact to and just wait for the actual MRI results. Also, uh, some slightly concerning news here about Freddie Freeman. He was scratched on Tuesday against the Twins with right elbow inflammation. And of course, he was dealing with uh, elbow issues late last season, had to have surgery this offseason to remove some bone spurs and fragments. And he's going to probably miss at least a few days of Grapefruit League action. But that doesn't necessarily rule Freeman out for opening day. So same message here. Just uh, don't panic. Wait for the... uh, the, the, the future news updates on him, or is it not too early maybe to think about a little bit of a downgrade? You know, with some drafts going on right now, uh, TGFBI kicked off this week. If you were sitting at the round one, two turn and you were thinking about Freddie Freeman, I think given that he's dealing with this day to day injury and it's your first or second pick, you probably talk yourself into someone else because there are other great players on the board. So why walk right into this injury situation? I don't think he should fall more than a handful of picks, though, just based on what we know at this point. I think what is concerning is the story that we saw from Jeff Schultz about the uh, painkillers and the issues that he was dealing with at the end of the season with his vision that came from that. So uh, one of those weird things where, you know, sometimes guys try to tough it out. They, they try to get a little help doing it, and it has some negative effects that can impact production. Uh, hopefully it's just a few days. I For now, again, very, very minor downgrades, I would say, for Freddie Freeman, but nothing, nothing that would knock him out of the first two rounds, at least. Yeah, and I think what complicates this, at least for me, is where he sits in the first base tiers, because I just think that there's such a distance between Cody Bellinger and Freddie Freeman, and then, you know, further on down to Anthony Rizzo, um, and, and uh, you know, the, the rest of, of uh, that tier, Pete Alonso. Uh, you know, maybe the next one up for for some owners. I've got him as number four uh, at the position, but it really is a pretty big gap. So you really have to weigh that. You know, like you said, if you're in a position at the one-two turn, you may just be facing a, a pretty big drop-off in expected production at first base if you go elsewhere. But I think that this does make that that dilemma a little bit more of of a difficult one and something that you got to chew on if you're you're in that position. So uh, among all the uh, great draft prep content that's uh, out there for you on The Athletic, uh, we now have a new piece on our Fantasy Baseball Sleepers for 2020, which has been uh, put together by Jake Seeley. Uh, DVR and I both participated in that. And actually, DVR tagged you, so you probably saw this, but I tweeted out uh, after this came out that I looked at my list. I looked at your list. I was I was more impressed with your list. <laughs> I liked a lot of the names that you had on there. Uh, there's certainly a lot of good sleepers to go around. 
around. So I'm curious about a couple of things. And one is how you went about picking your sleepers. What was your process? And also if there were any from the sleepers that you did cite in the piece, if there were any that really stand out for you. Yeah, there were a few different things that I was considering. I was looking for players that either have or at least in the past had prospect pedigree. Um, So that kind of stood out to me with a lot of players. Ryan Mountcastle, I think, still has some prospect pedigree. He hasn't really lost any luster. And I think what he has that really stood out to me is a path to playing a lot in a very hitter-friendly environment. Uh, Last season, he showed he really has nothing left to prove at AAA. I don't think Mountcastle is the kind of player who gets a Super 2 sort of timeline for for coming up. I think he gets a chance to play at the big league level uh, pretty soon after opening day, maybe even as soon as he's really secured for that extra year of service time by the Orioles. He could play other spots other than first base. I think that's where he ends up in the long run. But this is really just about opportunity. Uh, it's really about the ballpark and these are pretty good skills from a fantasy perspective. His biggest concerns as a player come from his defense, but the Orioles don't really need to worry about that right now. So that definitely drew me to Mountcastle, uh, former prospects, Franklin Barreto and Michael Franco. Franco is going to play a lot in Kansas city. At least I expect him to, I, I think they can move Hunter Dozier around a little bit to some other positions to keep them both in the lineup together. So I'm not worried about those two guys, both being right-handed bats vying for the same spot. Uh, Franklin Barreto, I just think is interesting because Oakland's second base battle is probably one of the most wide open job battles of the spring. Barreto doesn't have options left. Jorge Mateo doesn't have options left. One of those guys is probably going to play in a different organization by the time the calendar flips to April. They're going to get traded most likely or claimed off waivers. I don't see them passing through and going down to AAA. It just seems like a long shot. With Barreto, we saw speed at AAA. We've seen a high strikeout rate and very limited chances in the big leagues, but his playing time has been so sporadic. It's really easy to look at that and say, you know, there's swing and miss in that profile and there's not a ton of plate discipline as far as drawing walks, but there could be a clear opportunity for him to be a 500 plate appearance player and there is power and there is speed and it's a good lineup around him. So a few things I like really about the setup and the playing time that Franklin Bredo could earn in the near future. All right. Well, yeah, I like uh, all those picks very much. I thought the Austin Allen one, too, was really intriguing. <laughs> so check it out. Uh, Fantasy Baseball Sleepers for 2020 by Jake Seeley. But really, you know, we're, we're I mean, Jake put it together, but, you know, a bunch of us contributed to that. So do check that out. And that's going to be all we got here for today's episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get a 40% off discount on subscription at theathletic.com slash baseball in 15 and everything that we do is included with the subscription if you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review we'd greatly appreciate it if you took the time to do that so for Derek Van Riper I'm Al Melkier and we will be back with you right here on Thursday 